Welcome to the Birthing Ad Bod Podcast. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early parenting. Yay! G'day, how's it going? I'm Steve from the Prepare Foundation. We are a registered charity that helps first-time dads make an awesome contribution at the birth of their child. This is a podcast where we get blokes talking about their experience to share their wisdom with other men who are about to go through the life-altering change that comes with first-time fatherhood. So let's hear about the transition of parenthood from a dad's perspective. Welcome to the latest instalment of the Birthing Dads podcast. This evening, we're talking to Matt from Lismore. How are you going, Matt? I'm great, Steve. How are you? Very well, mate. So, Matt, we we normally start out with just a hot minute to give us an idea of, you know, who you are and what kind of things you're into. So, uh, what kind of music are you listening to at the moment? What's your favourite track? I bounce around at the moment, but I am loving James Brown um, at the moment, listening to a lot of that. But I, I really like cycle through music really quickly. I listen to sort of like new jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Musically, that's that, that's what's going on. Cool. What's the first good movie that comes to mind? Well, a movie that I watched with my son that I watched as a child is a film called Never Cry Wolf, and it's it's a fantastic movie about a, a guy a scientist going to Alaska to study wolves and it's very it's a very quiet film um there's there's periods of the film with, with without too much dialogue in them um but I loved it as a child and I was really really stoked that um my little boy um Omar loved it as well when he watched it is there anything that you kind of regularly do with family that you would like to share uh, well, I mean, one of the things I did today with with my son, um, it was just pick him up and go to a, a waterhole. I live in the Northern Rivers, like you mentioned, live in Lismore or just outside Lismore. Um, so there's lots of waterholes around, lots of waterfalls. So um, doing things like that, like enjoying that that um, that part of nature up here. That when I was living in Sydney, I moved up here a few years ago. Um, sort of really, really soaking that up because there are a lot of things that um, I miss about the city being up here. So so soaking up the good stuff about being in, in the in a regional area. Um, so I try to do that as much as possible. And where would you visit if money was no issue? Where would I visit if money was no issue? <laughs> Money's no issue, that's, you know. I can build a build a spaceship and and get out of the space, but but really, really, I think it, I think w- within reason, I always think I want to do a uh, like a a camper van trip around Europe and just go around Europe and go to parties, go to little villages, eat their food, and just just lush out in Europe. Really, like that. That's yeah, that's something I really want to do. You can invite anyone to dinner. Who is it? And what would you cook them? Oh, I'd invite. Um, <laughs> I was going to say I'd invite a Gandhi and cook him a pork roast, but um, I'll do you can you can say that <laughs> I can say that. No, that was that was that was probably you know probably I, I think I, I think I think Gandhi. I think I'd love to have Gandhi to dinner, and I think we'd just have uh, we'd have dal and rice, and um, I'd just talk to him and see you know just pick his brain. Pick his brain, find out who he is close up. What would you like to overhear your 20-year-old saying about you? My 20-year-old? Yeah, when Omar's 20. When Omar's 20, what would I... him on the phone or something and he's talking to his mates. I just want to say that that's a fucking legend. You know, I I, I think that's the thing. I I, I know that um, I guess something that I would want to overhear him saying is like, I'm going to have a talk to my dad because I know I can always talk to my dad. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that, that, that would be, that would be the thing. I think beyond anything. Um, yeah. Still at 20, still saying that. Yeah. 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 Or I'm going to, I'm going to confide in my dad. I'm going to offload this to my dad. I'm going to, you know, even if it's not advice, even if it's just sounding board, like I'm going to tell this to my dad and just, hear what he has to say and then I'm going to still go and make my own decision but 
the the thing in his mind and his heart where he would be viewing me in a way that was like I, I can just tell dad anything and dad's gonna love me I know that and I, I yeah I try to back that up every day with him and say you know you can tell me anything yeah that's good advice what was your favorite job my favorite job so far in my life um I, I think I think construction I think building things was was really fun I mean the job I do now I'm a postie now I I I find that really fun. It's a like, for instance, like if I was to say my job now and just talk about my job now, and, and I mean the floods we had up here last year, going out on the street as the postie last year after the floods was a, a an, an absolutely, um, yeah, it was it was a kind of a bit of a life changing experience just being that little bit of normality that people see after a flood like that and it's just this war zone and then all of a sudden, you know, the big yellow canaries coming down the street on the bike and and you're, you're having a chat with them and you're getting your mail and, you know, people were people were absolutely stoked to see me, you know, even if I'm bringing them a, a, a bank statement and some junk mail. It's it, it's so much about hey there you are you know here I am and it's it's that little bit of normality for them so that that was that's yeah that's an amazing part about my job now but yeah construction if you were ever going to write a book what would be a, what would it be about I have a bit of an idea that keeps banging around and I've actually tried to write it down a couple of times and, and not gotten very far I haven't persisted I do have a problem with persistence which we might get to later on as well um but it, it's it's about a guy basically being um brutalized by police like and and him being knocked unconscious and then him going into an alternate world while he's unconscious um and and it's very different from his own life like his own life's you know hard and gritty and and all of that stuff and and he and he goes back and basically it's a it's a like travel back in time, but it's within his own mind. So it's like he's not traveling in time as such. He's just existing in another reality, which happens to be connected to his own. Well, I sure hope to read that one day, man. <laughs> if you're comfortable kind of opening up about your own dad, you know, because it's, it's important where we get our role models from and what kind of father we want to be, you know, sometimes that can be a father figure or a father... My dad, uh, my dad's someone who I've never ever doubted for a second that he loves me more than anything in the world. Um, loves me and my my two sisters and my brother. Um, he's a you know as I grew up, I, I found he, I think as most people do, um, I discovered more and more flaws. In, in his character um, and I think for part of my teens I for the latter part of my teens I, I kind of dismissed his his role um, and thought he hadn't done the right things by me hadn't hadn't made me enough of a man he's not a he's not a macho guy by any stretch of the imagination and I think at that sort of 17 18 19 year old like age, um, I wanted that. I, I got it more from um, one of my uncles. So I went to live with one of my uncles and he kind of was was tougher than my dad and tougher on me and pushed me more. Um, my dad, yeah, I knew my dad thought a lot of me and I knew that he he... I also knew that he didn't have the capacity in his life. I mean, having four children and having not much money, um, he didn't have all the time in the world to just spend with me one-on-one. So often, you know, I kind of uh, was very bright at school and as school went on, I messed it up more and more. I just did worse and worse and worse, even though, I should have been achieving 
um, quite a high standard, um, which I had in, in the beginning and sort of mid part of school. Um, I didn't, and he just reacted with, he reacted with a lot of anger, um, just anger and, and just this, yeah, it was, it was not an anger that was directed toward, like he didn't get angry with me, but I could see how, how angry and frustrated he would get and he would pour that out in a way that just wasn't, it wasn't helpful to me. Yeah, it was, I could just see it was breaking his heart, you know. I didn't see it at the time. I saw it as like, oh, he's just, dad's fucking going off again because I've done this or I've done that. And he's been called up to the school for another meeting to discuss how I'm going off the rails. And, um, yeah. And at what point did you kind of, I guess, turn the corner on that and, and see your role in that? Or, you know, at what point did you say, oh, he, he was doing the best that he could? I, I, don't, I don't think I, I've really... I think that's something that I've gradually realised through through my adult life, um, and probably in the only in the last ten years, and certainly certainly after having my own child, um, it has drastically changed my perception of what my father gave and how he might have felt seeing me do that. You know, because I know. It's it's one of those things. I mean, you don't. It's such a cliche, but it's so true that you just you just can't see that until you have your own child, and then you know the way that your parents felt about you. I mean, I, I had a yeah, I had a, a cousin who, who passed away in a, in a in a motorcycle accident, and as soon as I had my son, I actually got in touch with my auntie and said. It's only now that I have even an inkling of what you've gone through with losing my cousin. And have you got a, a memory that you'd like to share about your dad that, you know, something that comes up? It's funny. It's funny, you know, that we've ended up living where we do. Um, I travelled a lot with my dad. My dad often took me as a travelling companion with him when I was young because, in, in his words, I was a very good traveller. Um, and certainly what I remember, I... I was very happy to just sit and look out the window of a, of a plane, of a bus, of a train, um, and I could go for hours and hours and hours. And we were doing a trip together from, um, I think, from Sydney to Brisbane um, by road. And we pulled into to Byron Bay. My dad is an aviation freak. Like that is his, his passion in life is aviation. And so any chance uh, he would get, we would go up in a plane. And, of course, there were joyrides around Byron Bay, around the lighthouse and all that, and this is in the 80s. Um, so Byron Bay wasn't a huge place back then. But we pulled over and, you know, the little money we had that still managed to find, you know, the the hundred bucks or whatever it was back then, which was a big amount of money, to take this joyride, and we flew around the the Byron Bay Lighthouse and and all of that, and yeah, there's there's plenty of memories like that, but that's one that sticks out, yeah. Nice. Um. All right. So your own journey into fatherhood, kind of preconception. Uh, just how planned was it? How you know the conversations? Did you you know was this something you'd always wanted? The pregnancy was was planned was completely planned. Uh, it was something that my partner and I had been together for that stage like seven years, seven or eight years. Uh, so I think seven years by the time we got pregnant, eight years by the time we we had our son. And we talked about it and talked about it. And I knew very definitely the way in which I wanted to have a child. I, I, I there was no way. I was going to have a child in a relationship that I felt was unstable um, because for me, more than marriage, more than anything else you can do with someone, having a child is saying, okay, it's me and you now and we're together for good and we're going to raise this child and this child's going to see two people who love each other and two people who care about each other and that that's the unit they're going to have. They're not going to come into a relationship that is... Um, hostile and that is, you know, ugly. They're going to come into something that is warm and loving and everyone has disagreements, arguments, fights, whatever, 
but it's not going to be to a level that is going to be damaging for this child. And so once you um, started trying, how quickly did did your partner fall pregnant? Uh, the third month. The third month. And we hadn't used, we'd never used contraception. And so we just went, okay, right, well, it's glove, gloves off. Not that there, was any, there was no glove to take off, but... Um, you know, we went for it and it was it was quite funny. It was like the first month it was like, oh, okay, it's not just going to happen straight away. And then the second month it was the same thing. It's like, oh, wow, okay, wow. We, you know, I thought, well, for sure we'll get pregnant. She was, I was going on 37. She was going on 35. And then, yep, the third month, that was it. Third, third time lucky. What did you know about childbirth before you kind of were leading up to it? I think I, I, I mean, I knew, I knew enough. My, I mean, my dad was an ambo, and he's delivered babies, um, and I was never under any illusions that um, it was some nice, neat, clean process. Um, I was always aware that birth itself is is you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say brutal but it's it's confronting it's it's confronting okay confronting yeah that that's hard to watch yep okay well i i that's interesting because i i i didn't at any point find it hard to watch um i i i but it is it is intense it's intense primal yeah yeah primal yeah yeah Definitely, definitely primal. I mean, you, you, you're seeing a human being being drawn out of another human being. Like, it's it's a ama- it's an amazing um, it's an amazing thing to watch. And it is one thing that I would tell any dad. I I that experience. I absolutely thrived on that experience. I loved it. I loved being there, and I was at the business end the whole time. And it was a 24 hour labor, so um, I was watching the whole thing. You know. Did, did you go to uh, any antenatal education classes at all? Yeah, look, we, we we did. We did. We attended a few different things. Sort of fading in my memory now, I, I do remember going to a class that was run by women. I didn't find particularly helpful for me. I, I Looking back, I would, I would have said find men, like find a guy you know, or a group of guys who have been through this and get the information from them, not not to, to disparage what they were doing, what they were trying to do or, or anything like that. But I think they did a good job, but I don't think it's adequate um, in preparing a man for that process to hear it, what it's like from a woman and what you should be feeling and what you should be doing. Like I didn't really have any idea yeah, often men feel feel do feel helpless, and I and I mean it's a good point. I agree with that. The the you know traditional or hospital antenatal education doesn't really give you much um, background on on what your role is. Yeah, yeah. This was a this was like a private class. Yeah, it was an independent class. To be honest, on the prep side of things, I I think I would have benefited a lot from just like I say, finding men. I, I think there wasn't a lot of men around me at that time who had had children and I didn't really, I don't think I really dived deep enough with the, with the couple of men that, that, that did have kids. Um, but sometimes it got way too fluffy for me. It wasn't nuts and bolts. I guess it didn't make me aware of really what my role would be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, all right, so you go in and you kind of, like, through your own admission, you're probably a little ill-prepared, but um, you didn't know that going in, you kind of, you know, but um, so... No, I was going to say, to clarify, I think the birth part, like the actual uh, birth, you know, going to the hospital, all of that, and we were in a in a birthing centre at first and then were moved up into the ward after things didn't progress quite the way we thought they they might... The birth part of it, I was ready for. I, I, I don't think I was ready for 
what came after that, the, the, the being a dad in the early days. Let's just go back to your partner says, oh, I think I'm having a baby. Yeah, what, just take us through that. Vicky started to have what she thought was were contractions, which were very, very mild at, um, at that point. Um, we you know, went, right, okay, you know, we, we, this is the, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. So I've got everything ready to go. Boom, let's get in the car, go to the hospital. Uh, let's get checked out. We got checked out. And then they said, no, no, like it, 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 you are having contractions, but you need to go home. Yeah, at that point they probably said you're not in active labour. Yeah, it's not you're not ready to ready to go yet. So go home, and when it gets to this point, point X, you know the contractions are so many minutes apart. Um, then come in. Don't come in before that. It's a good idea if you can avoid going to the hospital too early, and one way to do this is to keep in contact with the midwives at the hospital before you leave. So this is a good role for dads to take up because you can just get on the phone, call them up, tell them the situation, and then you can have a conversation with your partner present and you can work out what the best time is to leave for the hospital so they don't send you home when you get there. Let's go home. And then we we were at home and I think we went to sleep. And then it was a, you know, it was an up and down night. And and the contractions they were starting to come in, and then by the morning, they were really starting to get much closer. And we we did get to the point. I I mean now I can't even remember the number of minutes they specified. You know the, this number of minutes, and then come in. But I remember getting to that point and going right, boom, let's go, let's do this. And we got in there, and and away we went. We had we had way too much stuff with us, way too much. <laughs> Oh man, we had all and sundry. Like we just, you know, there was this and that and the other, and we had we had these like little candles, like kind of electric candles, and and all sorts of gear, and you know, dressing gowns, and I had a dressing gown, and she had a dressing gown, and what, and you know, in in hindsight, like I mean, we we haven't had baby number two, but I think with baby, I'd just be like, you know, we've got to. I got a bottle of water and and my clothes on. Okay, let's let's go. You know, I wouldn't have fussed with all the all the other stuff. The one good thing we did take was the was the music because it was a very long labour. I had a I had a little speaker and I had my phone or an or an iPad or iPod or something at that point and 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 that was good because it it just kind of gave us a bit of atmosphere in the room. Even that that was even when we were in the ward. That was great. But all the other stuff, I still remember pushing the trolley up from, from the birthing centre to the ward and we were just loaded. Uh, although, you know, taking some things is probably a good idea. So it's somewhere in between. If your partner is saying, we're taking the candles, then take the bloody candles and make sure you pack. And this is just for the listeners. Make sure you pack that bag, mate, because you're going to be the one that's uh, digging through it when she's saying, uh, you know, hand me the lip balm or, or or whatever, and you've got to know where that is so that um, you can get there quick. But uh, let's go. So you're, you're in the birthing centre. So you were you were uh, you had midwife um, continuous care from midwives, was it? Yeah, we had we we were an RPA in Sydney, um, and we had our own room, which had a you know a a, a, a double bed. Um, it had a big bathtub in case you wanted to, you know, they're like a huge big tub. Um, if you both wanted, you could fill that up, both get in it, whatever. But really by that stage, all, and, and I'm only speaking for us, but all that stuff about maybe we'll do it like this and maybe we'll do it like that just kind of went out the window. And it was like, just get through the contractions. Uh, make sure she's okay. I think I'm pretty sure Vicky got sick, like she was vomiting in that first part. So I was kind of, you know, feeding her cold water. And 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 to me, looking back on it, it's like you're stepping into that. That's you're stepping into that new role. You're stepping into the support role. You know, you're a support player. Like that's that's what your job is. And how did you know what to do? 
was it just intuition? I I was I was listening to what my partner was telling me. Um, I was listening to what my and I was you know referring to the midwife, um, but I was listening to what she was telling me and just trying to make sure that she was comfortable and that she had everything she needed because really, you know, when it comes down to it, it's and this is only my perspective again, but it's her gig. And it's like I'm here to back you up and make sure that this happens in a way that that yeah. you're satisfied with. You can't have the baby for her, but you can definitely uh, kind of ease the the you know that process. Yeah, and that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I was I was go, going and getting the things. You know, should say I I want this or I want that. So it's like run out to the shop, get a couple of things for her. All right. So so why did she need to be transferred? She wasn't um she wasn't dilating like they uh like they you know needed her to. She wasn't she wasn't yeah, opening up to, to let the baby through basically. Um and it went on and on and and I'm talking like seven hours um in the birth center. Um and you know, um it was each time these contractions there. I was like, "Oh wow, that maybe maybe it's going to be now. It's going to open up." And it's like, it's just not getting there. It's not, you know, she's not really ready to do this. Um, and you know, we at that stage we were under the impression that her waters had broken. There was a period where you know she like we saw a sort of release of of, of fluid from her, and we thought, "Well, that that's it." That's what's going on. The midwife was checking and saying, yeah, the waters are broken. Um, so we spent seven hours down there and we did the best we could and the, and the midwives did the best they could. But in the end, um, we transferred up to the ward. Vicky was starting to become quite exhausted. Um, and the thing was, as soon as we got up to the ward, the nurse checked her and said, no, her waters have not broken. So proceeded to get out of like, you know, kind of knitting needle like device and just go, oh, there you go. And then gush, there it was, you know, and then the process really ramped up from there, even though that was still not even halfway through. And had Vicky had any... uh... Pain relief or analgesics at all by this time? Not while we we're in the birth center. We had we had the the intention of um, having a natural birth. Well, you know, Vicky did. I was, you know, I was. If she'd have said, "Look, I want every painkiller under the sun," I would have said, "It's your like again. It's your gig. If you want to do that, you do that." But she wanted to do it natural, which I thought was great. Like, you know, let's let's go ahead and and do that. But uh, yeah, we got up to the to the ward. They made sure her waters had broken, um, and then I can't I can't remember. There's a little bit of a blur there now in my memory of of, of the periods of time it took. Uh, but at, at at some point, she did have an epidural. So she could basically at that point it was so she could rest to have the energy to be able to push this baby out. Okay, so she's had the epidural and and then what? She falls asleep. She falls asleep because she's she's exhausted. Um, I'm at this stage amped up, really amped up. I I can't rest. Like I I lay. She sort of fell asleep. I lay down in the little chair bed thing that they had in the room um and i just couldn't sleep i was like no i mean i'm 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 pumped full of adrenaline at this stage i'm 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 not sleeping for anything and um by this stage now you know when i described those first contractions and the rough night's sleep the night before this is now going towards midnight the next day and so she wakes up and what happens next? Contractions, you know, contractions start again. Although I, I seem to remember, like, obviously with the epidural, 
in effect, it was different for Vicky and they were sort of coaching her through, this is when you need to push, okay, go now, go now. Um, and it just, it was, I could see at, the, at this stage, as it progressed, I started to be able to see my son's, well, I didn't know it was my son at that point. It was just my child's skull, you know, at, at the, the opening of the vagina and, and, and boom, there it is. Um, and she would push and you would see him, oh, this thing almost, almost, you know, and then, boy, it just pull back, pull back, not quite, not quite, and then it would just be another however long it was. I think it was sort of 20 minutes, something like that, and then it would, like, happen again, and then, whoa, let's go. No, it's not going to happen. And so that went on. That went on for a while because my son was born at 10 past four in the morning. Um, so it, it was a long, long process. It's a very long process. I was going to ask you, like, what were you, what were you doing during the contractions? I was, I was with Vicky. I was holding Vicky's hand. I was sometimes with the nurse. Like, it was me and a nurse. And we, you know, believe it or not, we had like a dolphin flashlight. We're flashing, like looking at where this baby is and getting Vicky to push and doing all of that. I was, I, I felt like it was me and the nurse who was in the room were the, we were just there for Vicky. We, it was like we were on duty, you know, we, we were on duty. I felt like, I felt like it was an even um, split between me and her. Obviously, she's got the, expertise um but i felt very involved i felt very involved at that point um and i was you know still you know making sure the music was was all happening so that was just enough of a distraction you know when vicky was sort of coming back down out of the the contractions and just talking to vicky and and making sure she was okay seeing yeah, if she, if she needed to communicate anything to the nurses or doctors, you know, because she was pretty, she was wiped out by that stage. You know, she was really wiped out. And so it's nearing four o'clock and Omar is born and you're a dad. And uh, did you get the bolt of love? By that stage, um, I got a very short, sharp, when I saw him come out, it was just, you know, I thought I might, burst into tears, be completely overwhelmed. It was very short and sharp because it had been such a long process and I realised how energetically drained I was, you know, and and in the build-up to that as well, like it didn't just, you know, one of those contractions goes through and and out he pops. It was he's not coming out. Doctors come in and they were like, right, this business what do you want to do? Do you want to have a shot at getting this baby out? You can get her out, you know, we give her an episiotomy and try to pull him out with the, um, the Von Tuss. Sometimes a doctor or midwife may need to make a cut in the area between the vagina and the perineum during childbirth. This is called an episiotomy. An episiotomy makes the opening of the vagina a bit wider, allowing the baby to come through it more easily. A ventouse is like a vacuum cup that is attached to your baby's head by suction and a soft or hard plastic or metal cup is then attached by a tube to a suction device and the cup fits firmly onto your baby's head and during a contraction and with the help of your partner's pushing, the obstetrician or midwife gently pulls to help deliver the baby. Um, or you can go, uh, we can do that now. I remember it like this, like they, they all came in and they went, right, we can do it now. She was like, I've got to go and do a emergency cesarean. So we can do this now or we can do it after I come back from that. What do you want to do? And I remember Vicky just going, I want to, I want to get this done. And they were like, right, bam, and just flew into action. And I saw Vicky being cut. And they put the Von Tuss on, on, on my child's head, on Omar's head, and boom, pulled him out and... There he was, you know, and that's when I got that, like, you know, I just, 
I think I just teared up for a moment. You know, it's not like the fucking heavens parted and it's like everything just, it's amazing. It's amazing. The whole process is amazing. And and it might have been very different, like I said, if, the, if it had been a short labour, I can imagine still being so charged up that there, there would have been a lot more energy there. But the way I felt was like I'm spent. Like I've had hardly any sleep um, for the past, you know, 36 hours pretty much. Um, I don't have a lot left, but... I mean, here is this child in front of me. Like, uh, that's my child, and it's a, it's a little. It was a little bit hard for me to get my head around. Really, like, it seemed there was a surreal nature to it for me. So he's there, and he's born, and you have that fleeting moment, that fleeting moment of uh, of bliss, and then the gravity of reality kind of hammers home. What happens next? Um, we have. We have family in, my parents, Vicky's parents come in. It's it's beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful scene. All, all our parents, are, you know, it's was, it was Vicky's parents' first grandchild, my parents' second grandchild. Um, that was a beautiful thing to see. My, my father-in-law, when leaving the room, said something to me which sort of reverberated in my head for, for, for coming weeks and months. And, and really years and only kind of really hit home quite a few, you know, quite a few years later, he, he looked at me and he said, that's the best thing you've ever done. In that moment, I knew exactly what he meant and I felt it. But subsequently, I I questioned that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can explore that in just a minute. So... Oh, or we can go into it. Well, now, no, let's let's want. let's go. Let's. I want to follow the follow the path. So yeah, let's keep the timeline. Yeah, the timeline. So yeah. So what what yeah what happened next? So Omar's born. Um, you know, we're we're just we're kind of on on cloud nine at that point. You know, I, I kind of can't believe it's happening. I'm obviously contacting family and friends to let them know what's happened. Um, and we're starting to get to feel a little bit of rest sinking in because obviously Omar's starting to, um, I mean, at that point he wasn't even Omar, he hadn't been named yet. But, um, yeah, it just, it just, it felt like, a, a, to me at that point, it felt like a big relief, a big relief. And Omar was sleeping, you know, he, he was, he was quite a, like he came out, quite vocal, you know, crying a lot, but then calmed down very quickly, you know, was on Vicky's chest, was just a happy little baby. And he was very peaceful at first. And and I think Vicky and I, after our folks had left and everything, we just, you know, spent some moments together and and reflected a little bit, just, just basked in it, I think. And then I... I went home to sort of take stuff home and just to get a little bit of rest. So I left it. I left at that point. It was it was quite a you know I think it's still a couple of hours maybe after he was born, a few hours after he was born. I headed home, had a bit of a rest, and then came back in just to be there with him and with with Vicky. And yeah, spent the day spent the day there. And then that night, I mean, I got I think I got about two hours sleep. So this stage, it's sort of 48 hours from that, you know, first contraction or maybe more. I've probably had two hours, you know, somewhere between two and five hours sleep the whole time. Um, and that evening I experienced the first, the first time being up with a baby who won't sleep. And I, and I fucking cracked up. I cracked up because Vicky was exhausted and then he, he was in his little crib on wheels and I wheeled him into the next room, um, just a sort of little, I don't even know, it was like a little lounge area just to give Vicky a chance to, to rest. But I was dead on my feet 
and he just would not stop crying. And I remember rocking his little crib and just touching him and trying to get him to calm down. And I was just sobbing by that stage because this little boy would not just calm down. He wouldn't calm down and I didn't know what to do and that was the first instance of me going, holy shit, this is this is going to be really full on. This is going to be much more intense than I ever imagined it would be. You know, eventually I took him back in. I think Vicky fed him or tried to feed him. She was having uh, a little bit of problems getting him to latch onto her breast. So I think we were sort of feeding him with, with bottles at that stage and then trying to get him to latch on. But, you know, one of the really, one of my really beautiful memories is, I, again, I, I, I laid down, there was these little chairs that folded out into a bed that I lay, slept on next to Vicky's bed and to give Vicky a break and let her really sleep, I lay there with him on my chest. And I, I did sleep, but it's a kind of a light sleep, you know. Um, and as you get used to, I think, when you have a child, you get used to sleeping, a little, especially a very small baby like that, you get used to sleeping a bit lighter. Um, but that was that was blissful. That was blissful, having him that close to me, this, this, this little baby that had been inside my partner for, for nine months. And you realise, I think, well, I realised that that bond between mother and child is, I mean, it's amazing because they're, they're growing inside that person's body, you know, and I'm only ever going to have him on the outside. And this is the first time I've been this really this close to him without having her in between. Was that the point where you might have felt that level of love, the first kind of? Oh, it, it look, it no, 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 it, it definitely, and what I described before at that moment of birth, like I still got that very, like you say, that, that kind of bolt of love, but it, it, it's, I think it's someone you're, for me, it was someone I was yet to get to know. So it's like, of course I love you. You're, you know, you're my flesh and blood. I love you. But I don't know you. I don't actually know you. I don't know who you are. You're, you're a baby. You're a little crying baby. That's what you're going to be for, for, for some time. I still don't think that I was, I mean, and, you know, maybe guys out there, everyone's going to have a different experience and there's probably going to be guys who love that period, love that little baby period. But I I, I certainly know for me and, and a lot of other dads I've spoken to, it's not really, it's not your time to shine. To shine. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's and, not and your you, time to shine. And you're not getting much back in that first no. maybe eight months, no. year. You know, and a lot of guys will feel like an ATM and they're, they're not getting much love from anyone. They're coming third and, yeah. you know, intimacy yeah. might, might have gone depending on, you know, on the birth. And yeah, it is, it is a hard time. I mean, I, I didn't enjoy that as much as I have the later years as, as mm. like you say, when the character comes in and they start doing oh, things totally. to make you laugh and you, mm. yeah, I mean, they, they're very cute. And, and yeah. lovely and, you know, and, and that, and it's very beautiful to watch them and, and stuff like that. But I would say that, you know, I feel more kind of loved and loving more, you know, after the three and four, once they begin oh, to certainly. actually start certainly. to, you know, be able yeah. to do things on their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel, I, I think for me, I, you know, if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be that don't worry, like, that bond will come, you know, that, that bond will come. Just, just love him. Keep doing all the things, being close to him as much as you can. Um, and then they'll respond. Yeah. 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 It. And they'll yeah. respond, but don't expect a response. Don't expect to be the one he wants to go to. And, and in my instance, um, 
you know, pretty quickly, a few weeks after he was born, we went to live with my in-laws, which meant that there were four adults around oh. with this little child. So I was relegated to, to pretty much to last place. And that was like, no matter what I did, like, you know, spend time with him, play with him, do all the things. And I got extraordinary. I, I got quite resentful and upset because you're used to human interaction where you give and something comes back. And this was like, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not having the normal relationship I would have with my partner. I'm working as much as I can. I'm, you know, and for me as well, it also, that all, that period also came with unemployment um, to a certain extent. I was working a bit, but not much. I, I, you know, we went to, like I said, we went to live with my in-laws. It was like my role was, was removed. I didn't really have a role. You know, I, I felt um, often, yeah, pretty much superfluous, really. Um, you know, and if it, it again, like, you know, I, I think it's important as much as you can to be set up and to know that you uh, you can contribute. Um, and, and, I mean, it's funny that you say, oh, you know, you feel like an ATM, but really, like, that's kind of I, – I didn't have – I wanted my own space and I wanted to be the one contributing and I, I wanted to do that because that would have been a role, whereas um, I didn't, you know, no matter how much time I spent with my son, it didn't really seem like he he ever really wanted to be with me so much. He, he wanted to be with his, his grandfather, you know, he obviously wants to be with his mum. And then, you know, he might want to be with his grandmother and he might want to be with me. Well, I think it's important to recognise that perhaps uh, your energetic landscape at that time was in a place of, what, negativity. And and perhaps he can pick up on that, it, you know, and, yeah, and maybe well, he was responding yeah. to this energy of this man kind of going, oh, you're frustrating me. Yeah, oh, definitely. Most certainly. Most certainly. And, and, you know, I, I, I did and said things in that, during that time by, to put it in context, like I think it was three, three or four weeks, um, three or four weeks by the time we moved in with my in-laws. Um, and by eight weeks, I said openly in a room where he was sleeping, he ruined my life. Right. So, you know, and I still look, back at that and go I wish I never said that but that's how I felt well that was your reality and so um did you what did you do about about processing all of that did you seek professional help at all not at the time no I didn't I didn't and I really I really feel like I should have I really feel like I should have reached out I was just I was getting angrier. I was getting more frustrated. I was feeling more cheated out of my own life. Um, and do you think you were like, if you had a sore therapist, they might have, um, you know, kind of diagnosed you with anything at that point? I, I was, I was definitely depressed. Yeah, I was definitely depressed. I, I would have, you know, I mean, now when I look back on it, I just go, you know some form of like male postnatal depression. It is true that dads also experience postnatal depression. In fact, a Movember study of 1,531 fathers of children under five, including those expecting their first child, were surveyed for the study and it found that 45% of those blokes were not aware that men could experience postnatal depression. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's a statistic that needs to change. It does occur in us blokes and we need to be more open about it. You know, because it's this youth, I, I, a world that I thought I was going to step into, I didn't. I stepped into a completely different world. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really important point that a lot of guys go into this with certain kind of expectations and then when those expectations aren't necessarily met, that's um, when issues and problems can arise. So I think the transition of fatherhood is actually a, a process of managing expectations and probably, you know, realising that it's not all it's not all um, those beautiful smiles and, uh, you know, lovely photos, even although that's the ones that we see of new fatherhood, you know, normally it's when you get them to smile, but that smile lasts probably, it's not very long. And so those photos aren't really a realistic picture it's of a, what's it's truly mostly happening in a lot of cases. It's a few ways. That's, um, that's oh, what that's it's all about. Analogy, yeah. It's You've got to look at it like, for me, talking to whoever's listening or the dad's coming up, just know that it is mostly paddling. It's grinding. You've got to get in and be willing to grind. And it's probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And if you think it's going to be all just, you know, you're going to come home and it's going to be, you know, this, this beautiful kid who goes, oh, daddy, I want to, it's just not like that. It's, it's, it's a grind. And it is, you know, I think the surfing analogy really sticks because, you know, when you're so you're paddling, you're getting, you know, pummeled by waves, you're struggling to keep your breath and it, it hurts and you don't think you can keep going and you finally get out the back and then, you know, and then you're looking for a wave, you're looking for a wave and you're trying to get on it. And you've, you've got to be, you've got to be, um, you know, as much as just setting yourself up for that grind, you've got to be open for those moments because I think my experience is that I started to close myself off to those moments. I started to go, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't, give, I don't care that this happened or that happened. Yeah, so it's just always like, paddling. Oh, there was no, yeah, no there's, there's no waves for me. I'm just paddling around and, and, and nothing's going on. And even, even when it does, like I get away. Oh, it's and getting dumped. Great. You know, it's not even that great. I don't and, and Which is actually a, a perfect segue into the clinical depression symptoms. And that is you're not finding, you're not finding joy with things that you thought you should yeah, or you exactly. normally would. Exactly. So, and so I, yeah, it yeah, does sound like yeah. that was and I think something I serious. You know, advice you know to my to my former self and and to to you know uh about to be dads is um just forget about yourself for a while you know like just accept the fact that you're gonna have to put yourself aside for a while it's not going to be forever but don't try to maintain the life you've known through that period of becoming a father just be a dad just be a dad and learn how to do that because if you try to maintain the sort of life you had and it, it's just gonna it's gonna grind you it's gonna it's gonna make you bitter because you're not just not going to be able to have that life and you know yeah yeah that's really, really important to to kind of uh, give guys a head up, a bit, heads up about that. And another part, and I'd just like to add that uh, your relationship with your partner needs to be essentially mm. kind of renegotiated in a sense because she'll go through a certain level of, uh, well, it's called matrescence and a bit of identity shift, and you'll go into a you know a different identity shift as well, and that and that. You know, so your, yeah, your relationship with your partner needs to be, again, that kind of thing of like, all right, well, you need to leave space for her to build that bond with baby and be the mother of your child. And yeah, you're not, you're not coming first with her. Matrescence is the physical, emotional, hormonal and social transition of becoming a mother. No, you, you've got to, you've got to, put all that aside and you know before we went into this I was sort of thinking about it and, and thinking about that, that just that support you, you you are you know had to go to the like all the sporting analogies but you you're the support player you know you're the player setting it up you're not the you're not the player scoring the goal 
you're not the one getting the glory. Just and you've got to be happy with that role. You can't be. I want to be. You know, the one getting all that love and all that attention from from the child because the child at that stage, at least was my experience, is bonding with mum and they're just bonding really tight with mum. And, you know, I think I saw my, you know, because my father-in-law had so much joy that he had this new grandchild, you know, um, when he saw Omar and you're talking about energy before, you know, his energy was just lit up pure joy and love and Omar just responded to that like it was like a magnet for him, you know. It was like an absolute magnet. So he, he was catching all your waves? Oh, yeah, he was catching my waves. He was he was the longboarder out the back that was like I was trying to paddle in and I'm like, man, he's already on it. Like he, he knows what's going on. He's already on the wave. He's coming through. I'm like, oh, well. That's done. So, but it's like, you know, there were ways for me, you know, and I think there were, there was him often time trying to push me in, you know, and go like have this. And look, through all this, you know, I'm painting a pretty dark picture here, but um, there were amazing moments and there are a lot of fun moments um, that did start to come up again. I, I got very dark. And the point at which I, I I turned a bit was like I said at that 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 kind of eight week period. Even though it, it did linger for a long time, there was this undercurrent of depression. I knew I had to lift myself out of it because when I said that, when I said that, you know, th- th- this this boy's ruined my life. Um, my both my parents were in the room and I looked at my father's face and my father's face cracked and I could see tears in his eyes. And the instant I said it, I got up and I went over to him and I, I, I held my dad and I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, Dad. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have. Like, that was too much. I've gone too far. And I knew from that point, and it was a long it was almost like I dug a very dark, deep hole very quickly, and then it took me a long time to to build out of that. Um, and at what point would you say that you know you kind of thought to yourself, "Oh, bloody, th- this is great. I mean, this is. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad I'm off, Dad." Or isn't that happening? I yet? think. I think no. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think there was always. There was always, even through all those very, very dark patches, um, you know, and even me saying that, like saying such a, 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 a to me now, I just go, man, that's just an awful thing to say. But um, there's something. There was something always in me going, "You love this child." You wanted this, you know. You don't get to run away from this, and and it and it is something great. And I just had to learn how to accept that. And and to answer your question, I think really I started to get into the rhythm. Probably, you know, when we were with my in-laws for quite a while. And we we only moved out of their house. I think Omar was about fifteen months old, so we were there for over a year. And you know, past that first birthday, it was like, okay, wow, that's cool. And then by the time he was like eighteen months old, I was really, you know, we'd moved out. We were we were just it was just us now, you know. And I can't stress enough how important that is to have mum and dad around you know he's obviously that he or she's going to be bonding with mum a hell of a lot but if you can keep it the three of you or if you have other children then two in the picture for real quality time I think that's that's really valuable because if there's all these other people around it just the connection just takes longer to build I think do you have the same parenting style as as Vicky? No, no. And so, not at all. Yeah. Did that? Did that? Did you want to share what you know? What your well, perspective Vicky, is on Vicky that? Vicky had you know. It's a, it's. A, I think it's a fairly common thing. 
um, for a lot of women, especially a lot of like older mums, um, is that, you know, they want to read every book under the sun and they want to have these ideas and these sort of structures to place growth into and what's happening and blah, blah, blah. And there was, there was some really, I can't remember what the book's called now, but there was like, you know, okay, your baby's two months and this is happening. Your baby's three months old. This is happening. Six months old. This is happening. Um, which was really helpful, like that really practical advice. But I was pretty much just like, I'm winging this thing, man. I've seen my parents parent. I, I, I know how to be a parent and and I'm, I'm parenting by intuition. I mean, a good example was like, you know, the, all the allergy stuff. I just gave Omar eggs and peanut butter and all the things. I went, well, if he has a reaction, then we'll deal with it. The hospital's new you know, the, the hospital will call triple O and, you know, but I was like, hey, you know, there's no history of that in my family, you know, and. Uh, just I, before I you also, go on there, I'd just yeah. like to say to all the listeners, look, that's actually not advisable. Okay, lads. Uh, this is the way Maddie wants to do it, but um, maybe uh, consider your version of that truth. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, chuck that in. I don't know what other people want to do, but I did have to, you know, that that like demonstrating that different parenting style. Vicky was very, oh, no, I'm going to go read a book about this. And I was like, I'm just going to do something and see what happens. And, you know, as it turned out, I, I looked up, you know, research that said, no, it is good. It is good to have children having been exposed to all this food from a very young age um, because it lessens their chance of, of allergies. And like you said, you know, go and research that for yourself. I don't know where that research is now and I'm not a big, you know, I don't go out and read scientific journals as a hobby. So, but if that's your gig, then then go do it and look it up. But, um, yeah, basically my, my style was just I'm going to wing this and I'm going to see how I go. And I know, I I just knew from the way my parents were, it's like, this this is what I need to do. And did that cause any relationship kind of issues or challenges? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because, you know, Vicky, in in that instance, I'm just talking about, you know, sort of yelling at me saying, you know, you're just, you're just parenting out of intuition. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, like, why would I do it any other way? Like I'm just going by what I feel is right, and and I'm you know I'm not putting my child. I I didn't think I was putting my child in danger. I mean I'm not throwing him to a deep end of a swimming pool, going oh he'll be fine, he'll swim his way out. You know it's like I, I'm I just didn't want to I didn't want to have a like a prescribed experience. I just wanted the experience to be organic and and it to be you know. And to be my experience. Have you got any advice for other dads that are maybe going going to go through a or are going through a similar kind of uh, transition? How did you get through it? Transition, just the the the, well, the, the parenting single... styles and oh, the parenting idea. styles. I, I would, I, I mean, and relationship. The, the advice, the advice I would give is 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 saying like just communicating with your partner that you are going to do things differently. You know, the child has two parents and those parents will be different. You're not going to see eye to eye on everything. There's going to be big things where you need to communicate to get a resolution and and say this is what we're going to do. And obviously all those the sort of subject matter changes as you go, you know, first it's what is the what is the baby eating you know, what nappies are we going to use? Where, where are we going to sleep? Blah, blah, blah. And then it goes on to where are they going to daycare? What, you know, all that kind of thing. And then where are they going to school? What's happening with this? What's happening, you know? Um, so I would just say, you know, you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to find common ground, but you're also going to have to recognize that you will do things differently and you will have a different approach. And I, I, that still happens now. You know, my, my child's turning eight this year and, you know, I think now 
my partner, I recognize that it's like, you know, dad does things differently. And I've had to reiterate that, you know, because Vicky will often walk in a situation and say, he's still up and he's doing this and he's eating this. And but I go, well, it's my rules. It's not your rules. I'm not you. I don't have your rules. So if you want him to go to bed now, if you want him to do this, you've got to do it. It's not up to me to do it. If you let me do it, I'll just do it the way I want to, you know. So... I don't know if that would fly with, with my partner, but um, <laughs> good on you, mate. No, no, that's great. Um, look, uh, I, this has been fascinating uh, chatting to you, but I um, just wanted to kind of maybe finish on a um, uh, just something about about Omar, something that you find delightful about your son or something he's done, anything you can think of at this time. Um, I just think he's got a great sense of humour. Um, he's got an absolutely fantastic sense of humor. He's, I'm getting used to the ways in which he's different from me. And I'm finding that the ways in which he's different from me, are are delights, you know, like it's delightful to see him. Like, you know, when I was, when I was his age, all I ever wanted, and I just wanted to go to the beach. You know, if, if anyone has mentioned anything about, I just, yeah, let's go to the beach, let's go to the beach, let's get outside, let's do something. And, you know, he'll be inside and he'll be, it'll be a hot day outside and he'll be inside reading a book on his bed, you know, um, doing something quietly. He's a, he's not as, yeah, he's just not as, as, um, I guess he doesn't want to get out there and, and do things physically in the same way that I did. You know, and when we do go, like, you know, using the beach example, when we go to the beach, he's just in the sandhills, like, digging and playing. He doesn't want to go in the water, whereas I just wanted to be straight in the water. But it's not about me going, oh, come on, mate, like, you've got to be like me. You've got to do the things I wanted to do. It's like, wow, this is you. This is who you are, you know, and... And he just, he just, he soaks up every little thing. Um, he uses, I once used quotation marks, you know, using my finger quotation marks. But it, so now he, it, I think he picked it up when he was about four and he still does it now. You know, he'll go, you know, whatever, whatever little phrase he's got going and he'll use the air quote things, you know, you go, I had, fun today <laughs> you know <laughs> nice uh, one. yeah oh brilliant yeah thank you so much uh for for sharing um you know some of that darkness as well mate um it's yeah. been a real pleasure yeah. to to hear your perspective on the journey and um i wish you well for uh you know the coming days and years. yeah thanks man thanks and yeah just the same to all, all the, the, you know, about to be dads out there. Just, you know, wish you all the best and, yeah, lots of love. Some great advice, mate. Thank you. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.